Hello and welcome back. You're joining us today for our 24th episode of Opportunity Thrives. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell. And on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive and lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. You can just click on the podcast notes to leave us a review. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. And today we have the pleasure of chatting with Carl Hooker, who has more than 20 years of experience in education, technology integration, and outside-the-box thinking. He also has a great sense of humor and very practical advice for district leaders, which is why we invited him to join us today. Carl, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Jason. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us. So, Carl, I shared uh, just a very high-level summary of your background. Would you mind also sharing just a little bit more detail about your experiences and some of your expertise in EdTech? Sure. So when I was born, I was no, no, I'm not going to go that far back. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, I've been yeah, 20 years in education. I started out as a first grade teacher, believe it or not. And if anyone who's ever seen me knows, I'm not exactly a small person. So my job is like as teaching six year olds was just not to step on them basically every day. Um, and then I moved into uh, various other roles. I've, I've, I live here in Austin, Texas, and I've worked in a couple districts in the area. Um, work my way up to an administrative level where I was eventually the director of innovation and digital learning, which is a title that I completely made up and changed my business cards without board approval um, and got in trouble for that too. Uh, but uh, did that job for a number of years at Eanes ISD Westlake here in Austin, Texas. We ran a one-to-one program, uh, one-to-one iPad starting in 2011 for all students, K-12, 8,000 students. And that was one of the first full-wide, nationwide ones that we that uh, I think was actually out there back in 2011. So anyway, so did that. I've, run, I've done a lot of other things since. I've, I'm now a full-time educational consultant. I do some influencing work. Um, I do trivia nights. I DJ. I do event planning. I mean, you name it. I, I probably have tried to do it. Um, so not a afraid to take risks. And I have a lot of ideas, but many of them aren't good. <laughs> that's right. Fail forward. That's what there we go. That's, and you're in a great city for that. Did you happen to work under Superintendent uh, Nola Wellman? I did. Nola was my first superintendent at Eanes ISD and uh, she and I still are connected. I know that she retired and she does some work. She does some consulting work with some, some of the companies that hire superintendents, I believe. So she's now in Colorado, but she comes down here every so often. We had lunch right before the pandemic. Yeah, well, great. She's such an extraordinary uh, woman. I, I really enjoy listening to her. She's got just great progressive ideas. She was the one. So when I changed my title, she was the one that brought me in and said, you know, I'm okay with this, but this takes board action. And I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I already changed my business cards and my email signature. And she's like, she just laughed and said, okay. And then, of course, all the other directors wanted to change their titles because I did. But it, she was super receptive to all of that. Excellent. Well, I think Austin's a good environment for that. You've had a lot of experience with educators and districts. What are some of the common themes and strategies that you're hearing uh, across the education industry right now? You know, I, I've been in the last couple of weeks, especially, I feel like there's been kind of the heat has been turned up on, you know, the remote hybrid, high flex, whatever concurrent you want to call it. And I think what happened in the spring that we all experienced, you know, and this this podcast is being recorded right in the middle of the pandemic. So if you're listening to it, this is November of 2020. And right now we're, you know, we're now a few months into the fall. And I think the, the expectation was for many that, you know, while the spring was very much hodgepodge, we're going to throw some stuff on an LMS and um, hopefully the students will get their work done. Now, uh, you know, the thought was that the fall would be a lot deeper. What we're seeing and what I'm seeing and talking with educational leaders and, and just schools across the country is that there isn't a lot of deeper learning. There is some, 
it's pockets, I would say. But a lot of us, you know, and, and I say us because of teachers, you know, I'm a teacher too. We fall back on things that we're familiar with. And it's, well, I know the LMS, so I'm going to use my learning management system to post digital worksheets. And that's going to be kind of like my baseline. And then I'll try to do something extra off of that. But for the most part, I feel like it's still it's still very much that kind of like, let's just do a substitution method if you use like the SAMR model as a, as a reference there in terms of technology use. And so, yeah, I... Part of me, I understand. I mean, I absolutely do. This is a stressful time to be a teacher. And I, I, the other mm-hmm. thing I'll say is that's another theme I'm seeing is that there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of teachers quitting. I don't um, and administrators too. my daughter who's in middle school has now had we just got notification of a second teacher of, of hers. that's going to resign at the end of the month. So it's this is a tough time. So as much as I say, God, it'd be great if we did these amazing, deeper, amazing learning lessons, you know, at the same time, you have to realize that, you know, yeah. self-care is a huge thing. And I think that teachers struggled with this for decades and now it's really being brought to light. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I've spoken with groups of teachers and you, you just, you can sense the, just uh, the unbelievable pressure that they're facing. It's, it's, it is, I I really feel for our teachers right now. So yeah, um, we, we do see some administrators that are addressing some of these big challenges and I mean, teachers as well, uh, what do you see? How are people tackling this? Well, you know, and on the administrative side, I mean, besides the self-care stuff and just giving teachers kind of the, a little bit of leniency and a little bit of grace on some of that, I would say the other big issue that's been that's been just screaming and brought to light with all this is equity issues when it comes to connectivity and devices. And um, just from having conversations, you know, I do some work with Future Ready Schools and some of the numbers that they've thrown out there is like 16.9 million students that don't have access to their own device or internet connection. And that's, when you think about the 70 million plus students in our country, that's pretty sad that that large of a percentage still doesn't have access. Now, this, these numbers are from last spring. So hopefully they've, they've, that gap is, is decreased a little bit. But I think educational leaders right now are scrambling to figure out how do we get you know, just get the base level of like, let's make sure everyone has access to a device and has access to some internet, whether it be a hotspot um, or maybe partnering with local um, ISPs to make sure they have that. So some of the work I've been doing with leaders around the country lately has been that it's like, how do we how do we partner with those other organizations? How do we get that into the households around us? Because not everybody has access to this. You know, I, I spent a ton of money getting this house ready for remote learning. I have three kids that are all on Zoom calls as we're doing this podcast. So I needed to make sure I had the, the best internet possible. But, I, you know, not everyone has access to that. So, again, right. working with school leaders around that, I think, has been a big thing. And then, of course, that turns into outreach to the community. Because now, I think the other thing we've seen as a result of all this is parents now have a real different insight into education. You know, before, you know, you send your kids to school and they come back with a little homework and they tell you, how was your school day? And they always say, oh, you know, we had fun at recess, but they, <laughs> you never really know what was going on. And so now it's like the curtain's been pulled back. T- a parent see it. They can, they can see like, wow. So this is all you're talking about or all they're doing is watching this video. I see a lot of judgment out there from parents and it's, you know, it kind of goes to the toxic, toxicity, I guess, of, of social media in some ways, but also, I think it's just parents weren't aware. I think it was like it was kind of you know blissfully ignorant. Let's send the kids to school and then we'll help them with their homework, but we don't really care much after that. Yeah. I, um, so you've probably seen some schools that are doing exemplary jobs or really good jobs or really innovative mm-hmm. things. And, and you know, my perspective, uh, I, I tend to look at the bright side of everything. So I'm, I'm going to look at the sort of the flip sure. side of this equation for those districts who have been effective at it. Like what's been their key to success? What have they done? Well, I, by the way, I'm also a silver linings person. So I, I love that you have that same thought. I'm very optim, uh, 
optimistic about things that we're going to get out of this. So I will say that the three big things I've seen, um, one is any schools that had some sort of one-to-one, now this is a financial thing. So any school that had a one-to-one device program in place prior to the pandemic, um, the longer, the better, because that means teachers were able to kind of, uh, you know, learn the blended environment. They were learning how to kind of put assignments online, how to get students to create online and all of that. So when the switch was turned and they had to go remote or hybrid, they were able to kind of easily pivot, if you will. So that was number one. Um, again, that takes financial commitment. Number two, I would say, is that schools that have had a really good support system, meaning like having instructional coaches or ed tech coaches. Um, and again, another financial component, because not everyone has the ability to do that. A lot of schools that I've worked with don't have anybody. And so sometimes I'm the person because I'm the consultant that they bring in to do it part time and just kind of giving teachers some sort of strategies and, and tools and ideas to use for online or, or uh, hybrid teaching. And then the third one I would say is just the communication with this doesn't cost anything, but communicating effectively and regularly. I mean, I think the schools that have done a good job are always con- communicating with their parents, um, always consistently, meaning consistent platform, not just sending it out on like 16 different places. So now the parent has to go like, where did I find that note from the teacher? You know, it's always on the same platform. It's always at the same time. Maybe every Thursday morning, they send out a weekly update, those kind of things. Um, hmm. I found that those tend to lessen the stress of the parents at home, but it also sets some very low level expectations for teachers in terms of communication, but also administrators to follow through on. And just that alone, if you, if you didn't have any money for one-to-one or you didn't have any money for, you know, ed tech coaches or anything like that, if you just communicated effectively and regularly, I think some of the headaches would be a little lessened um, overall. So you started talking about the different stakeholders. You mentioned parents, administrators, uh, teachers in this. Um, when you think about those those districts that are doing things innovatively or they're they're seeing success, um, how does it how does that education experience in that hybrid or high flex environment how does that feel um, for those different stakeholders? It's different. So what is different yeah. about it? Well, I think the the role of the parent is actually you you pivot to more of a like a home learning coach, I think is what we've called it a lot. And you know, that's the idea that the parent is now, I mean, in, in some ways, but to be honest, we're talking about silver linings. I'm seeing personalized learning for the first time ever. I mean, I, we've mm-hmm. talked about it for a decade in the ed tech space, like, oh, this is our chance to have personalized learning. And no one really knows what that means. But I'm finally seeing it and with my own kids, too, because if you have a parent or caregiver or someone in maybe a learning pod that's able to help with those students one on one or small group in houses, I think that you know giving them that chance to kind of follow up on their work has actually been pretty powerful. However, just like we were talking about earlier, that means that the te- those parents need to have some sort of idea, like what are they even looking for? Because not every parent has an educational background. So you know, you're sending these things home and the parents like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to even be helping you on. So I think the role of the teacher in that scenario has now changed too. So you're now teaching the students, but you're also providing some sort of instructions, whether it be recorded instructions, written instructions, something along those lines. It's like almost like a coaching template or a toolkit to say, like, okay, as you're working with your student at home, here are the things you do. And teachers have done it before with projects, you know, the take-home projects, the dreaded after the <laughs> after the state assessment when all the parents have to do the homework project for their kid. Um, yeah. No, we never did that, I, I swear. <laughs> but those kind of things. So teachers are used to that, but now it's just, it's, it's a lot more intense. And then, then the last thing I'll say is on that front, in terms of the, that connection between teacher and parent is if, if, if I'm a teacher and I, I would spend, I would, I would purposely spend a chunk of time at the beginning of the school year, or if I'm going remote again tomorrow, let's say we went to per, in person, I know a lot of schools are switching back. 
I would spend some time in the classroom just going over how to access the tools, how to use the tools, um, especially when it comes to learning management systems, because not all of them are intuitive. I actually had my daughter's art teacher sent me a note and said, can you access the learning management system and let it because we the teachers can't see what the student side looks like. And so I'm like, okay, he goes, do you mind? Give me some instructions. So I wrote up instructions. He's like, oh my, these are great. Can I share these with everybody? I was like, yeah, let me take my student's name off of it first. But, uh, <laughs> but totally in that with just that little thing. And next thing you know, like the next newsletter that went out from the elementary school, like every teacher had that post, like here's instructions on as parents, what you need to be accessing. And I was like, that's the kind of stuff they need help with. And I mean, honestly, teachers, they, they're used to doing in person. So when it comes to instructions, it's always verbal. They don't think about that backup of like, wow, I need to have a video or a, or a step set for this. So that's been, I think, seeing some of that is actually pretty helpful too. That's helpful for the kids as well, because now if you're a student and you miss the instruction, you mm-hmm. can go back and rewatch it. Uh, we've always like flipped learning. Remember that flip classroom. I mean, that's essentially what we're trying to do now. It's a, I, I heard Jean Sharp. She's the um, chief academic officer at, at Apex. And she was talking about not making assumptions that students know how to do things like log yes. into the LMS. Or like she said, <laughs> we, we can't do that. We need, we need to make sure that they, they know how to do that as the teacher before we sort of let them loose. And they're, you know, digital natives doesn't mean that they're digitally proficient everything. I love, yeah, I, I've always thought that was a big myth. I, the best meme I saw was just the other day and it was like, Kids, some some girl made this TikTok video that was just absolutely amazing, like all the little cuts and weird little magical tricks. And it's like students can do this, but they can't figure out how to submit their Google Doc, right? It's right. <laughs> there's certain things, and, and maybe that goes to the fact that some of these LMSs and some of these tools are clunky and they're not as mobily friendly as, like, say, a TikTok or a Snapchat. But um, it's interesting. You're right. I mean, that's I think that's the the biggest false assumption we make in education. I would say the same thing with teachers, by the way. There's People are always mm-hmm. said, well, the younger, younger teachers, they know how to do all this stuff. I was like, uh, I mean, they may be a little, uh, you know, more fearless when it comes to technology, but they don't necessarily know how to, it still comes down to good quality teaching. I don't care what tool you use. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 No, no curriculum can replace a teacher. Uh, right. So I, I'm going to tap into that, that vein about uh, digital curriculum since you sort of started down that path. Um, I mean, you've worked with a lot of digital curriculum and a lot of districts. Um when districts are doing it right, what are they doing with digital curriculum in order to use it as an effective tool? Well, I think the first thing is you always focus on the standards. You don't focus on the, like, let's say the actual textbook. Let's if it's a digital textbook, for example, um, if if you just use that as your teaching tool, then you're you're probably limiting a lot of what you can do or what your kids can do. So mm-hmm. what I, what uh, the ones that are doing it right, I would say they're focusing really on how can I have my students demonstrate their understanding of this topic rather than. Uh, I'm going to deliver the information to them and then I'm going to give them a synchronous multiple choice quiz that they're going to take that demonstrates their knowledge, but it doesn't actually demonstrate their understanding. So the teachers that go above and beyond that, the schools that go above and beyond that, that constructivist approach of like, okay, you're going to create your own example of what this looks like. You know, that when a student becomes a teacher, that's when they really learn. And then then offer, also adding in the opportunity for them to reflect, which I think I struggled with admittedly as a teacher. I always flew through my lessons. I was always, all right, guys, we're doing math now. Now, okay, with 90 minutes is up. Now we got to switch the reading. You know, if I had just taken one to two minutes to say, guys, let's reflect. What is something that we learned today? A couple of you call out a couple of things we learned today. Just that one minute of reflection, even if it's just self-reflection, I think is powerful. So um, the schools that are doing it right with digital curriculum, they're building in those uh, opportunities for students to demonstrate their understanding and to reflect. And then lastly, I would say also having a collaborative element of that, which we don't always think about with you know curriculum, you're like, oh, every kid gets their textbook and they're going to open it up to page 26. But you know, really, I mean, what opportunities are the kids getting to work together or collaborate to and create 
uh, you know, shared demonstration of understanding as a team. And then of course you can use rubrics and other things to kind of grade that, but um, having those opportunities that all just makes it a lot deeper. We're talking higher level blooms, right? And we're not doing that low level, like just knowledge kind of understanding. So we're going higher level with creativity and all of that. Um, I think that's an important thing to think about too. So yeah, I think, I think um, one year we tried to give our, we did something about a digital curriculum alignment at our school district. And I remember this, this teacher came up to me. He's like, man, I feel like this is a communist plot. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you're, you're putting a, uh, you're putting a limit. You're putting a ceiling on what my teaching should be with this, this, this curriculum alignment. And I said, actually, no, this is the floor, man. I go, this is what you have to do. You should go well above and beyond this. Don't get me wrong. And he, and he kind of looked at me funny and I was like, you, you can't take it. Like that's a cap. That's just like, you need to cover these standards, but that's really, it. I mean, how you cover them. And there's, there's the art and science of teaching that gets mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I was speaking with a group of teachers and it was this sort of this same mindset shift and, and they were, they were looking at digital curriculum, like they were just locked into it. Like it was just a, a sequence every single day. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This can do some of the heavy lifting for knowledge transfer, but you get to have fun with the, the application of that, the, the knowledge and skills. I'm like, do projects, you know, highlight them on, on, on Friday and, you know, talk about the great things that are going on in the classroom in your, um, you know, in your, do, send a little video out to, to the kids. And, and they were like, same thing. Like we have the freedom to do that. I'm like, absolutely. And you're encouraged <laughs> to do that. I don't, why do we, why does that happen in schools? And I maybe, I think teachers are, we're probably by default, we're very much, uh, you know, we want to play by the rules. A lot of times we're rule followers, most of us. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I remember I, sh- I shared the story before, but like when I taught first grade back in 2001, um, this is right. We're during nine 11. And this is how far, far along that was. Um, a group of the students found an old photo of the class photo of us and posted it on Facebook about 12 years later. And uh, they tagged each other and then they tagged me. So these are all 16, 17 year olds tagging me. And I'm like, oh, what are they going to remember? <laughs> and it's just right. like you said, they don't remember the worksheets. They don't remember the reading test. They don't remember the math quiz. They remembered us turning the classroom into a jungle and everyone got to dress up like animals and talk about their habitat or how we read Harry Potter and then went to the movie theater afterwards to watch the movie to compare notes between the book and the movie. I mean, that's the stuff yeah. they remembered. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's I mean, it's all about those learning experiences. Very much. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about digital curriculum is it does allow for that ex- experiential learning. And um, and right right now, it's just a little bit different. And uh, the parents are certainly involved in that experience, aren't they? Right. And I think that's and I think that's it. I think that's the part, too. I think parents <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that they're having a great appreciation for what teachers have been doing for decades. Right. And maybe they are. And some of some, you know, I, I do see that's an unfortunate trend of this as we've seen a big we've seen a big shift to homeschool and I'm a big public school advocate. So, you know, we've got, I think it was the last numbers was 728% uh, increase in homeschooling as of the summer. So yeah, they're leaving, they're abandoning school right now. And maybe I'm hoping that's just a temporary thing, but you know, some, some may stay there and say, you know what, I, I like this model and, and it, you know what, it does work for some kids. So I don't want to dismiss that either. Um, but you definitely have to have, I mean, I think having it, if you are homeschooling, having a quality digital curriculum, is almost absolutely necessary. I don't think you could go forward without that because you need something that, like you said, it does the heavy lifting for you. And then you can do the adjustments and the tweaks and the personalization. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I see a lot of school districts are getting sort of that competitive pressure um, in the market against uh, virtual schools and, and home schools. And I think, I mean, at least what I've seen, the, the school districts, they are, they are rising to the occasion and they're delivering some pretty cool stuff out there. Yeah. 
I do see that too. I think that's I, I and I and I hate it for it to be competitive, but I mean, in in some ways, we probably, especially in public school, public ed, we needed to be. And I've worked with private. I'm, I'm counts, um, consulting now with some private uh, entities too. So, you know, Christian academies and things in different parts of the country, just doing remote uh, consulting with them, and they're facing, of course, even a graver challenge because they're they're paid by tuition. So a lot of they're losing some of their tuition because people are like, well, I don't want to pay just to go remote. I could just t- put my kid mm-hmm. somewhere else. So they really feel the pressure to, for one, they have to come back in person and many of them have partially. And then some are, you know, some teach, they have students, the one I'm working with in Virginia, they have students in China that never came back that they went for spring break and never came back. They're still teaching them, but they're on at two in the morning. You know, it's just, wow. how do you, I know, how do you uh, go over <laughs> that gap? I mean, and that's pretty common apparently amongst the independent and private school organizations is do you have some remote students from other countries that are just, they come in and they live on campus, you know, um, or in this case now, I guess they do, they take school remotely. Wow. I, it, it, this has opened up a, a whole new world for education, hasn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, one, the one thing I'll say, if we, you know, if you think about what, cause I always like to, again, think, what are we going to pull out of this? Right. What's going to be the good thing that gets out of all this. And there's a lot of good things I think that have come out of it. Um, one of the ones I think that we probably need to really think about as educators is how do we diversify our education or instructional delivery model? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's happening because of this. We're having to say, you know, the, the, the traditional model of I'm going to stand up the front and give you the notes and here's the things on the board and here are the goals. Good luck. Now go. Versus the, okay, now I'm going to record a video of this and I'm going to let some of you work on this and I'm going to work with a small group and some of you are going to do it synchronously and some of you are going to do it asynchronously based on your learning styles. I mean, I think that's happened as a result of this. We kind of fast forwarded mm-hmm. to the future as a result of this and it's been clunky, but um, I feel like that needs to stay. Um, I don't know if you agree, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of good things that we can get out of this, but I think that's one of them. Uh, totally. And actually that was going to be my next question was, I was going to say, you know, take out your crystal ball and, <laughs> you know, we've, yeah. we've, we've been at this for eight months now. And if there is a policy or maybe even a, a strategy or an expectation or even more silver linings, what do you think that um, we're going to take back as some best, best practices for education um, in both the near term and the long term after we've learned all this? Yeah, I mean, I would say if that instructional delivery model is diversified, that's probably the bigger kind of long-term goal uh, of all of mm-hmm. it. But I would say just short-term, some little things that we've probably gained. And, and this is from, I've interviewed teachers on my other podcasts. I've talked to you know, leaders from all over. I mean, some small, simple things like a teacher to use tomorrow that they would use probably the rest of the time, like just recording little bit videos of themselves doing the instructions. I mean, that that alone, and I know teachers have been doing that for a long time too, but I think the fact that now a lot of teachers are forced to do it they've seen that, wow, I can kind of clone myself here. So if I am doing a hybrid situation or high flex where I've got some kids in class and some kids out of class, I can have a video of myself doing the instructions, hit play on it. So everybody sees it both in both environments. And then I can be walking around in the physical environment or helping remotely in the remote environment, uh, kind of on the chat while that's happening. So just taking a little bit of time to do that. Some teachers are brave and they do it like they record it live while they're actually doing the class, which can always be a little dangerous because kids jump in and say whatever. And now it's on the video. Um, Or, you know, that that's that's one thing. The other thing I'll say that's like a good near term or short term thing that I um, that could probably stick around, I think, is the idea of laying out your goals for the week. We, we get these uh, kind of assignment sheets for the week for asynchronous learning in my school uh, in my daughter's environment. And they basically say, OK, this week, this is what we're working on. And I'm like, wow, how great is that? I mean, as a parent, we never got that before. You know, you, you never I mean, and maybe we didn't want it or didn't want to listen to it. But I mean, to see like, wow, this is what they're doing in every single subject area. 
for the rest of the week. And so I know what the expectations are for my kid. And then my kid knows, oh, these are the things I need to work on. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something we should be communicating anyway. Um, and, and maybe they do it a little bit in school, but usually it's like today we're going to work on this. But to see like kind of the week at a glance, we're really getting some insight there that I think helps, you know, when it comes to ultimately letting the kids guide their own learning, which is kind of what we want. Um, I think that helps a lot in terms of the near term. All right. So you get a chance to be um, disruptive <laughs> yeah, always <laughs> with, with your ideas. Um, if, if, if you had an idea or a suggestion um, or even just a way to advocate um, in education, things that, that we need to change and even those things that are potentially really uncomfortable, um, but you think would ultimately benefit students, what would you advocate for? All right. So I've got two. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that, uh, see, that's not very disruptive. I'm already asking if I can follow the rules. I should be like, yeah, I've got two for you, even though you asked for one, cause I'm disruptive. Um, no, it's, uh, I think of the, the short term is one I've mentioned before. And that's that the, the, the thing that we need to fix right away is the, every student needs broadband access and ac- and access to a device. So leveling that playing field needs to happen yesterday. And I think it's a, it's a shame. It depresses me when I look out there and see that we're still short on that subject. So I'm hopeful, um, maybe with the new administration and the education department, uh, department of education on the federal side, maybe that'll help. I don't know. Um, but I'm hope we need some guidance on that front. Um, so that is something I, I really fight for and advocate for. I've gone to, I've testified here in the state of Texas for that, for, for districts in rural areas that don't have access. So I think that's coming. I think it's getting closer. Um, so that's a good sign. And maybe this will speed that up. Long-term, um, if I really want to go super disruptive, I've said we need to break up the core subject areas. Um, math, reading, writing, language arts, whatever you want to call it, so- social studies, science, those still need to exist, but I think we need to call them something different and we need to mix them up. I don't think, I think those were built on a 1950s model of instruction. Like well, everybody needs to learn these things, but I mean, I think you could change those around a little bit. So let's say, for example, you know, let's do some mashups. So let's say we, instead of teaching just environmental science, and let's say then having a PE class, you do a class that's a mix of the two. So you, you're talking about mindfulness, but you're doing it outside in the open environment. Maybe you're discussing the bio, the, you know, the biodiversity of what's happening in your in your area and then how it affects things that you do and how that affects that. But while at the same time, kind of walking, you're getting some exercise in. So again, the idea is mixing things up. So if I had to do it all over again, I would rewrite those core areas and not even call them that anymore. I would make them something else like computational thinking, which is, you know, someone's we've already had that. That's been something that someone's already come up with, but something along those lines, you know, uh, deductive reasoning, problem solving, things that mix up science, math, reading everything in there. So, I mean, if I'm really being disruptive, I just, I do away with those. And I know that would probably move a ton of cheese because everything we've built has been aligned to those four core areas. So um, the more we can mix in the arts, the more we can mix in music, the more we can mix in physical development, physical uh, activity, I think is important. So that would be my big kind of hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) <laughs> it reminds me yeah. uh, very much of the uh the w- the inspiration that i have for getting into education if you probably remember the movie dead poet society and of professor course. keating so uh like you you just described what his classroom looked like and that's what i always wanted to do in education so i, I it's not it's not um undoable that that's i've used that movie as a reference before whenever i talk about learning environments because people are like oh we need these flexible chairs and they need to be in the classroom and i said think about that movie that movie took place in the 30s there was no technology but where did the learning take place it took place everywhere it was in the courtyard it was when they went into the hallway and had him lean in and he said carpe diem you know yep. and they and then they went to the cave and and the teacher wasn't even at the cave they were learning on their own of course they're also you know playing playing saxophone and smoking cigars but they still learned <laughs> other things i mean they did poetry so 
I, I think I think that the, I think that movie is great for that. It does. You're right. It opens your ideas up to like it, it, we could be more than just what's in this book. Well, um, I, I think I really just appreciate how much insight you've added to today's discussion. And I hope that we can continue to inform uh, all of our, our education industry and help our teachers and our parents and our students and administrators lead through these changes. So thank you for your time today. Um, I certainly appreciate you, uh, you joining us. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for, for uh, having me on the podcast. If y'all want to follow me, I'm on uh, Twitter at Mr. Hooker. I have a website, carlhooker.com. And I also just came out with a remote learning coach course. Um, so if you like my humor, if you don't, don't, don't download the course because it's a lot of videos of me um, doing what I think are best practices. Again, like we just mentioned in this interview. So, um, but that's out there too. If you look up the remote learning coach, you can look up that. So um, again, thank you so much for having me. Hey, it was our pleasure. All right, Carl, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon. And for our Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you'd take just a second and share your feedback on our show by providing a review either on Spotify or iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen. And please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today and we will see you next time. 